Hello, 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 and welcome to episode number seventh, the seventh episode of Craft Beer Talk Show. I'm your host, Matt Sausch, and of course, as you might know by now, or maybe this is your first episode, this is a show where we discuss the world of craft beer and from time to time, craft liquor. We talked about craft cider last week uh, with Duxbury Cider, so that's uh, an example of that. But hopefully somewhere down the road, sometime soon, we will dive into um, whiskeys and uh, maybe more distilled clear um, liquors like vodka and gin. Uh, I know there's a couple really great ones out there, especially pretty close to to where I'm at right now. Um, So I'd love to try those out and uh, give you guys my opinion. But this week, we are discussing a fairly new brewery uh, to the Niagara region. The brewery is named uh, Dragon. Hopefully, it's D R A G A N. So I don't know if it's pronounced the same or Dragon. Uh, I'm just gonna say Dragon. Uh, Dragon Brewery and Wine Company. And uh, in just a moment, we'll get to their history um, and the actual beer we'll be drinking today. But before all of that, we get to the to the brewery and the beer. I wanted to talk a little bit um, about pale ales, and that might be a little bit. A foreshadowing to what we're going to be tasting today but uh, on episode three um, we tried a, a double dry hopped IPA from um, Collective Arts in Hamilton with my buddy Ryan and he asked me on that episode the differences between all these different styles of pale ales uh, that he sees when he goes uh, shopping for beer um, and you know he wants to know was it is it a gimmick um, is it something he should learn or should everyone kind of know this? Uh, well, I'm going to break it down here. Um, on this episode, I already talked about the history um, of IPAs uh, on that episode. So I'm not going to fully go into the history of every single style, but I will uh, explain exactly uh, what they are. So first off, we'll start with the main four. Uh, and then there's a whole bunch of subcategories and we'll get to that. Because uh, they're kind of derivatives from these four styles. But these are the four main categories um, that you'll see and that you should know about. And this will help you, uh, especially when tasting. You know, if, if something says it's a British Pale Ale, um, you'll kind of know what to expect. So maybe if you want, you can take notes um, or write it down. Or, or realistically, you can just Google it. It's everywhere. I, s- I swear I say that all the time on this show now. Just Google it. It's like you don't even need me. You can just Google anything. But uh Let's, uh, let's get down with the, the first one here. So British Pale Ale. That's the first of the main four. And what you're going to get with a British Pale Ale, it, it's almost the most traditional style. Um, when, I, when I talked about um, the India Pale Ale history, uh, I mentioned about how um, they needed something that was going to preserve the beer because they always had these these malty ales and the beer would expire. So they need to introduce more alcohol content uh, and stuff like that. The hops helped preserve the the beer uh, when, when exporting it to India for the soldiers. But um, So this is kind of like the traditional style. It's got a malty profile. Um, it has a nice balance between uh, woody and, and floral, both in terms of taste and aroma. Um, usually full-bodied, so pretty hefty. Um, and then it has those subtle fruity notes, which is um, that you'd get from from a lot of the hops and obviously in the fermentation process. Um, usually 20 uh, to 40 IBUs, so 20 is pretty low. 
you know, we've done light pilsners on this show that were sitting at 22. So 20 is obviously a little less than that. Um, even some loggers have 20 IBUs. So very, very relaxed in terms of uh, bitterness. And it goes to 40, which is about mid-range. You're really going to be able to taste the hops profiles. So moving on, let's go to um, American Pale Ale. So American, it it's a little less malty. Um, a little bit more aggressive than than British, uh, usually introducing like Cascade hops or Centennial hops. Um, medium bodied, so a little bit more relaxed, a little bit more easy drinking. Um, it's usually interesting in some way, sometimes a bit spicy uh, with tropical fruity tones on top of that. Um, golden to light brownish color. And then the IBUs is 30 to 50. So increasing in the bitterness, but still... It's um, not as aggressive as IPA, but it's a lot more aggressive than the British Pale Ale. This is actually one of my favorite styles um, to brew, just because it does have a lot of um, how can you like creativity kind of behind it. You can make it uh, how you were. There's not a lot of uh, I don't want to say specifications because I've said just listed a whole bunch of specifications. But you can play around with this one a little bit more. Uh, whereas the British ale, if it's too hoppy, then it becomes, you know, an American pale ale. But the American pale ale allows you to have a little bit of malt, have a little bit of hops, but be able to push the limits a little bit. That's a good way of describing it. So that brings us next to the India pale ale. So that's the third one. Um, and I talked about that one. Uh, on episode three so this obviously amplifies the hops and bitterness um, introduces uh, a higher alcohol content um, it could be as low as five but they can jump you know skyrocket to um, you know 10 even um, a lot of substyles come from india pale ale that's kind of like when you think of a pale ale when you think of a hoppy beer this is the one you think of whereas so the out of the four um, categories, the four main ones, I'd say IPA is probably the most recognized. Um, so that brings us to our last style, which is the Belgian style pale ale. Uh, so this one introduces uh, caramel and toasted malt profiles. Uh, it's got mild hops, um, only 20 to 30 IBUs usually. Uh, so even more calmer than the British pale ale, but it's usually sessional. So even though it's bitterness it's usually powerful uh, in terms of robust flavors so it's combining you know toasted malts with these fruity extravagant tropical fruits uh, you can get some definitely interesting combinations and that's kind of you know the just the way I describe the four categories there that's kind of how in depth I'm going to get into uh, when talking about the styles you know down the road uh, I will talk about um, these styles probably more in depth when I try a beer that that corresponds with the respective style. So now let's talk about the sub styles. Um, most of them derive from IPAs, like I said, um, but with the alternatives and changes made to them, they sort of fit into other categories. Um, so that's why they're in a category of their own, um, just because they can't necessarily be locked down. Uh, they can't be grouped. They're individuals. Uh, and that's kind of the cool thing about craft beer is that uh, you can essentially make up your own uh, style if you can come up with a, a new way to brew it. Um, 
And so let's dive into it here. So first off, we got uh, the American IPA. So I'll start off with the derivatives. I mean, like I said, they're all they're all from um, IPA, basically. Uh, but I'm going to start with the main two. I guess main three. I don't know. Whatever. They're all main derivatives. Whatever. So the first one is American IPA. So we know what the IPA is, and then we also know what the American Pale Ale is. So in a sense, it's a collaboration of both, but really all it means is that it's a, it's a lot fruitier, um, maybe more floral in terms of aroma, maybe a taste, a lot hoppier, um, and these, these skyrocket up to 50 to 70 IBUs. Um, so a lot, of, a lot of packing the punch uh, in these beers. So it's, I guess it's really not um, a mix between the two. I guess it's just IPA, and if you want an American, it's just uh, even more extreme than the IPA already is. So then we got the British IPA, and so this is more of a hop and malt balance, um, 35 to around 65 IBUs. Uh, so it does get up there, but you can have it as low as 35, which isn't that bad. It still pays tribute to the original um, traditional British pale ale, but basically just with more hops. So you're getting that hop, but you're also keeping that malt balance that the British uh, pint is known for. So now we go for the double IPA, which is um, also called Imperial IPA, and the triple IPA. So basically what that means, I, I know in that episode I mentioned, basically there's no such thing as this. Um, because a double IPA doesn't actually mean that they just use double ingredients. Um, all it really means is that there's more of everything. Uh, so it go, goes the same for triple IPA. That doesn't mean that there's triple the ingredients. All it means is that there's a lot more of all the ingredients, which uh, results in you know an extreme hop uh, flavor. Um, higher alcohol percentage, almost self-explanatory in a way. Um, I know the IBUs in this one can go uh, as north as uh, 100. So really, you you really got to love IPAs and you really got to love hops to enjoy a, a double, triple IPA. Usually a pretty sessional beer. I don't know anybody that... Uh, that pounds back all night. That's, uh, I mean, they're great. You could, you could definitely crush them if that's your thing. But uh, I, I like them more as a, a beer you can sit back and relax and and enjoy uh, slowly rather than one that you just is going down smooth on a summer's day. So now let's get to the next two, and I, I'm saying two because they're kind of uh, linked together. And this was the main one that Ryan asked me about. So West Coast IPA versus east coast ipa and the answer i gave basically on that episode was um, a lot of it's geographically based and also i said you're gonna have to wait until i do an episode on pale ales uh, to hear it so here it is this is the episode this is maybe what you've been waiting for so starting off with the west coast ipa um, basically it's all about bitterness um, the malty sweetness is neglected totally that's pushed way to the back um, it's all about the hops uh, and bolder flavors, you know, very fruity um, and uh, and definitely packs a lot of punch. So that's what they're all known about. I know in the States, uh, geographically speaking, that hop farms uh, are more traditionally in the West, Western regions. Um, 
So that obviously has a lot to do with why they love hops so much. It's it's so easy to get, uh, especially tons of varieties. They can experiment how they, they wish. So that goes to now to the East Coast IPA. Uh, so this one's a lot more balanced. Um, you have that malt sweetness included. So now it's kind of not neglected anymore like the West Coast does, but it's it's now a main component. And you have the citrus fruity hops character that matches an IPA um, with enough bitterness to provide a punch, but not to totally knock you on your face. So it's similar kind of to the British IPA in a sense where uh, you have that balanced profile um, and then you include a little bit of hops on top of that. Uh, it's actually, it makes a lot of sense if you think about it because the British and the way that Europeans were brewing ales is a lot closer to the East Coast uh, of North America. So obviously there's some influence there going back and forth. I actually don't know if that's that's true at all. I just kind of thought of that right now. But uh, yeah, geographically based from the East Coast. And that that's as simple as it gets between the West Coast and East Coast. Um, and basically the main difference is uh, the bitterness and the and the balance where West Coast is is on the teeter-totter leading towards hop flavors galore. And uh, East Coast is just a lot more balanced. So now let's go to our next set. And this is uh, another set. So you got the white IPA, um, which is basically a blend of IPA and wheat beer. Uh, it's lighter, more refreshing uh, for some. Uh, I, I find an IPA pretty refreshing, a nice juicy IPA. But uh, some people like the, the Belgian, uh, Belgian Witbier and... Uh, that's just a blend of those two. And then you got the black IPA, and this is combining dark ales with IPA, so those roasted malts uh, that result in deep colors with uh, IPA. So think a little bit more rich um, and uh, like roasted and, and toasted malts than a British pint would have, and then put on those IPAs. A lot of people think it's a it was actually a crazy idea but uh, it actually works quite well. Again, you have to have uh, a specific taste for that, but uh, that's that's basically uh, most pale ale varieties in a nutshell. Uh, I'm sure there's a few I'm not thinking of, but I can dive uh, more into the history of, of those and each one of these when I taste a beer from that core category, like I mentioned earlier. So let's get into today's beer. Like I mentioned, the Dragon Brewing Company. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about their history first. So unlike most breweries, now I got this information from their website. Um, unlike unlike most breweries uh, and their startup stories, where it involves people maybe on a trip um, or around a fire or something like that, drinking, um, and then coming up with this idea, this idea came to their CEO, Michael Nazareth, when reading a bedtime story to his son, Dragon. So boom, that's where the name comes from. That's pretty sweet. Um, I don't know how old is his kid is, but could you imagine being that young? He's young enough to, to be read a bedtime story. So I don't know, maybe six, seven. I'm not too sure what age that is. Maybe older. I don't know. Do some of you guys get uh, bedtime stories still written to you? I'm not sure. But uh, that's pretty sweet to have a, a brewery slash winery named after you. When he grows up, I would imagine it'll be handed down to him. Uh, would make a lot of sense to me. So he better start uh, putting on his boots and, and getting to work. 
So Michael, uh, the CEO, had owned a consulting company that helped open wineries, uh, restaurants, hotels, that kind of stuff. So I guess he decided uh, enough was enough and it was his turn to get into the game. Uh, I believe they just opened uh, last year, um, either at the beginning of 2019 or maybe even late 2018. Um, But they have two beers. Uh, We'll be trying one of them. They have a winery that hasn't quite uh, fully opened up yet, but uh, it will be these things like time, especially you got to grow the grapes. Um, you know, you got to bring them in, locate them, that kind of stuff. So that's exciting. Uh, maybe by this time, actually, they'd be pretty pretty close uh, to opening up that winery. Um, I'm not too sure, but uh, this is definitely very exciting for the Niagara region. Um, in 2000, and I guess it was 2019, last year. Uh, my girlfriend and I, for her birthday, uh, we went down to Niagara on the lake and we did this this winery tour. So it's, you know, you go from winery to winery tasting other wines. But the best part about it was you don't have to drive. Uh, we got a hotel. We stayed at the Prince of Wales Hotel. Um, beautiful, beautiful hotel. Uh, I think it's haunted. Um, but I'll get into that maybe a, another day. Um, and basically, yeah, you, you bike from winery to winery. This company... Um, I can't remember the name of the company, but uh, Vino Velo, that's what it is. Vino Velo, um, you, you, you rent a bike from them and then they have these packages, but you don't have, you can just rent the bike. You don't have to get the packages. But what we decided to do was get our own bikes um, for the future, which we did. I think I talked about that in uh, one of these episodes and we'll just go down there one of these days and kind of recreate that whole uh, evening. It was an awesome day. Um, but basically, we only I only came across one brewery, which was Oast House, uh, in terms of all the, the biking around. And I think we went to seven or eight wineries. You know, they're so close together, um, and you can you can bike to them. It's amazing. So hopefully, the uh, I don't know the exact location uh, of this place, but hopefully, it's kind of grouped within. I know there's obviously a lot of land taken over by the wineries for their crops. Um, so... I don't know. Hopefully in the future, there'll be more breweries. Obviously, Wayne Gretzky has a brewery now um, attached to his winery, but uh, I'm not even sure if if you can taste there. They have the whiskey in the winery. Anyways, we're getting off topic here, Uh, but exciting for the Niagara region. Uh, Next time I'm down there, I can't wait to check it out. So let's get into this beer. Like I said, they have two. They have uh, the first one is the Azica Citra Pale Ale, and that's called uh, Garnet. They named that one Garnet. And the next one, they have a Pilsner named Piva. So which one do you think that I'm going to try? Well, unfortunately, uh, it is not the Pilsner. Uh, I didn't see the Pilsner or else I know that uh, you guys definitely know I, I would have picked it up and tried it. But we are going to be doing the Asuka Citra Pale Ale. I mean, that's good because you guys are probably sick of me just trying Pilsners. Uh, this is probably going to be the most exciting beer we've tried so far on the show um so without further ado uh let's get into the tail of the tape here uh so it's five percent um this is this is off their website uh, as well it's you know i think it's important that when you brew beer especially craft brewer and craft brewers are a lot more interested in this because they want to show you um you know that their their beers are made with um quality ingredients uh, and that they they take a pride 
and their their brewing process whereas you know these these mass marketed beers you don't necessarily see um, what is actually in them of course it says the ingredients but you don't know what kind of hops you're using um, you don't know the yeast um, the malts all that kinds of stuff but anyways five percent 45 IPU so uh, mid-range hops nothing too crazy but uh, you're definitely gonna be able to taste um, those beautiful Azka and Citra hops um, so it is also a dry hop beer and like I just said Azka Citra um, and they're also using Vermont ale yeast which is um, uh, a yeast that when fermenting it complements the fruit forward esters now esters um, are fruity flavors that are produced during fermentation uh, so basically they occur when ethanol which is the main alcohol in beer uh, combines with fatty acids and a molecule uh, and that molecule has a scientific name that goes along with it I'm not even going to try and pronounce it but uh, basically and it, it makes these esters now esters can be a great thing could be a bad thing obviously in a lager you don't want too many of these fruity flavored esters so you got to be careful on what kind of yeast you're using pitch times all this and that we'll dive into that on a separate episode but i'm going to go ahead and crack this thing open and we can give it a taste all right so we've got the beer poured here and uh the look it's a uh it's got this golden straw color to it um, almost like this peachiness, like a tan peachy. Um, like I said, I am colorblind, so this might sound crazy to you, but that's what I'm getting from it. Um, peachy pink, maybe? Or, I don't know. You know when you pull out a cr those crayons from like the 48 crayon uh, pack? This is what peach looks like to me. So maybe I'm just wrong. Super hazy here. Um, really not clear at all. Definitely unfiltered. So you got we got a lot of sediment in there. That's awesome. Let's give it a smell. Wow. So the smell extremely extremely fruity, uh, which is uh, amazing. It smells absolutely delicious. Uh, we got a lot of tropical fruits. I can smell pears a lot of citrus tones um, i almost smell peaches but i don't know if that's just maybe in my head now that i said it looks like a peach color um, but i'm gonna dive in here give it a taste mm. wow that is really nice so right off the bat um you get almost like flavor overload with uh with the hops forward um and then the bitterness and then you get this mellow kind of fresh fruit like mango that's definitely the mango right on the front of your palate and then pushing back um you know you kind of taste a little bit of stone fruit you get that citrus for sure but it doesn't leave like a, a bitter aftertaste like it doesn't linger long which i think um is really important because sometimes when you're tasting a beer or anything really it tastes awesome when you first taste it but the more you it sits in your mouth and sits kind of at the back of your throat you get this this horrible taste, um, and I think this is absolutely delicious. I'm gonna give it another sip here. Mmm, wow, that is actually really refreshing. Um, I really enjoy this beer. It's got a lot of carbonation, but um, it's still pretty smooth. You get a little bit of sharpness um, from that that high carbonation content, um, and I don't want to compare it to like drinking a pop, but I almost sort of get that when I when I swallow, 
Um, there's a lot of action going on, especially in the back, my back cheeks. Um, but that's okay. Uh, I think that what makes it so fun and, uh, fun and exciting. Um, another thing I actually want to talk about is, is the artwork um, on these cans. I don't know who draws these. I don't know if it says on. I uh, know it does not say on the can who the art credit goes to, but they are just amazing. Um, so this is the garnet. It's got a dragon, a drawn dragon. I'll post a picture, obviously, on Instagram, uh, and you'll see. And the Pilsner, from what I saw on their website, uh, Piva, it's like this huge citadel. Um, so it's uh, it's pretty sweet. Looks It looks amazing. And Piva um, is a Czech uh, translation for beer. So that's kind of cool. Uh, I don't know if Garnet is supposed to be a translation of anything. But uh, yeah, let's give it one last taste here before the score. Mmm. Wow, I can't get over how they've done such a beautiful job combining all of these flavors, but making it into a beer that's, um, one, not uh, high in alcohol content because a lot of these fruity beers can get up there. It's almost it's almost deceiving, right? You, you get this beer and it tastes like mangoes and peaches and nectarines and oranges, but it's like 8 9%. Um, but this is nice. I could drink this, you know, on the patio on a, on a summer day. Like uh, like most beers, I think I say that about. Um, overall, nice balance. You don't get any sort of uh, aftertaste or the 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 end feeling of the beer is just as nice as the front. So I'm gonna go ahead uh, and give this beer an eight point one. I think it's a really good uh, pale ale. I also like how they named it Azica Citra Pale Ale, which tells you exactly what hops are in this pale ale. Um, it's it's absolutely uh, amazing. If I were to describe this beer um, as one of the categories I talked today, because obviously Azica Citra Pale Ale isn't really a category. Um, if I was to describe this, I would go ahead... Uh, and say that this is probably a pretty standard IPA, um, but maybe uh, a little bit more of a, a West Coast IPA. Um, that's kind of where I think this fits in. It's all about the bitterness. Um, but then again, it, it does have these these nice qualities to it, and it is uh, like medium-bodied. Uh, it's not super, super light. So then again, maybe it's not, um, but definitely a true excellent uh, IPA for sure. I really enjoyed this beer. Uh, and if you like listening to me describe it to you, then you definitely have to go get it yourself. Um, you can follow them on Instagram at Dragon Brewing and Wine. Um, and then also check us out uh, on Instagram at Craft Beer Talk Show. Um, and also add us as a friend um, on Untapped. Uh, we rate all of our beers. The only downfall is that the untapped scoring system is out of five, uh, whereas our scoring system is out of ten. So I just have to divide the numbers by two, uh, and hopefully that that gives us uh, the fair score, four out of five. I think that's how fractions work. But uh, other than that, guys, uh, this has been an awesome episode. Uh, I really enjoyed this beer. Check them out. Dragon Brewing. I'm your host, Matt Sausch. Cheers.